Meta unveiling their vision for the future of virtual reality. Pokemon and the Van Gogh Museum making an unfortunate collaboration. Late night talk show hosts making a celebratory comeback. A likely end to a huge esports league. And the passing of a beloved actor. This and more taking over the headlines of the past week. I'm Jason Griwa. Welcome to the Fresh Wire. Hey everyone, hope you're all doing A-OK. I am Jason Griwa. Welcome to episode 9 of the Fresh Wire. It is 10.23 p.m. October 3rd, 2023. Let's jump in and see what's been happening. Well, I'm going to start with um, something. Usually when a beloved actor dies, that's what I start with. So I'm going to be starting with that. Michael Gambon, the actor of Dumbledore in the Harry Potter film franchise, passed away at age 82. A statement issued on behalf of his family said it was a bout of pneumonia, as it was announced Thursday. Very devastating. He was the person that played Dumbledore in the Harry Potter films. Tributes came around. I grew up watching the Harry Potter films. I even went to see the last one of the franchise in theaters. It was extremely exciting. I haven't really watched uh, it recently, but I grew up with watching the films, so it was very sad to see this go through, and I hope his family uh, can recover from this unfortunate situation. Rest in peace. He passed peacefully in the hospital with his wife and son at his bedside. Yeah, very, very upsetting, uh, and he will surely definitely be missed, as he already is. So, with that... Being said, I'm going to mix things up a bit, and one of the biggest topics that I've wanted to cover for a very long time that finally I am able to is the MetaQuest 3 official unveilment. It will be launching October 10th, starting at a whopping 499 US dollars. So it was already announced a while back that the MetaQuest 3 was happening, and I think it was even its release was even announced as well and price but more details have come out about it including some of its capabilities some games that are going to be built for the quest 3 of course no games that will not be coming to the quest 2 were announced i think they said short term that the quest 2 and 3 will share the same library they confirmed all quest 2 games will be supported on the quest 3 so some of its biggest upgrades is notably hardware based with one interesting thing it supports, uh, it has more RAM. The Quest 2 had 6 gigabytes of RAM. The Quest 3 has 8. So multitasking could be better and texture quality for games could look nicer. It also has a new processor. The Pretty much the next generation version of it. It's the Snapdragon XR2, a Gen 2 chipset, according to specs posted online. It pretty much means, uh, according to Meta, double the processing power and allows for higher resolution in capability. So it has a high resolution display compared to the Quest 2. It has improved uh, lenses. So it's going to be, while the headset actually weighs a little bit more than the Quest 2, just barely 12 grams more, probably going to be virtually unnoticeable. It's overall a much more capable device and i'm pretty excited for it i don't know if i'm going to buy it yet 
Um, one of its coolest things is its augmented cameras. So the Quest 2 and Quest Pro, which is the enthusiast's model, have cameras that allow you to see through the headset so you can see your surroundings. On the MetaQuest 2, it's grainy, black and white, not fantastic. It's mainly as a just-in-case-you-need-to. The Quest Pro introduced color into its pass-through, but most people said it was equivalent of looking through a VHS recording. Early impressions for the Quest 3 suggest it is significantly better to the point where you can use your phone while the headset's on and it allows for much improved mixed reality experiences. I saw board games being played on a table vir entirely virtually. You can do multiplayer games with people that are nearby you that also have uh, a Quest 3 headset in this case. Uh, very interesting stuff. It's clearly going to be uh, Meta's last chance to get a head start in the virtual reality industry before Apple comes out swinging with their Apple Vision Pro early next year. Now, price comparable? Not one bit. That's $3,500. This will be $500 for the 128GB model, $649 for the 512GB model. So, pretty interesting stuff. I mean, the Quest 2... When it launched in 2020, it was an absolute steal at $299. So for the Quest 3 to cost a bit more, unfortunate. It continues to be, in my opinion, still great value if that's something you're looking into. If you want to have a headset that's super capable of mixed reality, but it's standalone, maybe you have a computer so you can play higher quality games through, this head through that headset instead. It's all very interesting stuff. I am not certain if I'm going to buy the Quest 3 yet. Now, for the people that buy in the first few months, I think it uh, this deal ends in January, you get a copy of Asgard's Wrath 2 available by the end of this year. It says winter 2023. And I keep seeing trailers for it pop up constantly, especially right after the Quest 3 was announced uh, a few months ago. And, I mean, from what I've been seeing, it looks fun. I know there's also an Assassin's Creed game coming to VR. I don't know if it's Oculus or Meta exclusive, but that also looks pretty interesting. People still wait on the fact that Grand Theft Auto San Andreas was announced for VR a very, very long time ago, and it was not shown off uh, last week. So that's unfortunate. I would have loved to see how they changed that around. So yeah, this also does not have eye tracking, something the Apple Vision Pro and Meta's Quest Pro do have. I'm certain it was to cut costs. Eye tracking is not critically needed, although it has quite a number of benefits. When you're in like a metaverse environment like Horizon Worlds, eye tracking, you know, you can makes it feel more lifelike and immersive, even though the characters still look pretty cartoony. And it also allows for the device to know where to focus its quality and resolution exclusively to where you're looking rather than the entire display. So it improves visual fidelity. But I can imagine it was to cost, uh, cut costs. So a little, little unfortunate. Otherwise, this would have been a definitively insane headset. But also, why would anyone buy the Quest Pro at that point? Besides the increased RAM. But if you're in the market for a Quest Pro, you probably already got one because of its business focus. So, yeah, that I'm pretty excited. I uh, definitely can't wait for the unnecessary comparisons between it and the Apple Vision Pro. I will keep my eye on it. Maybe I'll buy it. Undecided.
So a little bit of a shakeup in the video game industry. The CEO of PlayStation, Jim Ryan, announced that he is retiring and stepping down March 2024 after 30 years at Sony and PlayStation. He put in an announcement. He felt humbled at having the opportunity to lead a company delivering products that touch millions of lives, more games. Pretty basic stuff, but it is a huge deal because he's been so involved with Sony. He started at Sony in 1994 when he joined the company's European operations at what was then called Sony Computer Entertainment Europe. He stepped into the top role at PlayStation, uh, Sony's PlayStation division in 2019, and you know he's he's been he's been a well-known face in the PlayStation uh, ecosystem. He's just been there from the very beginning, 1994. That was around the time the original PlayStation launched. So he's been there from the beginning, and in a few months, he's going to be leaving. So pretty big shakeup. Uh, Sony Group Corporation President and Chief Operating Officer Hiroki Totoki will lead Sony Interactive Entertainment as interim CEO starting April 1st, 2024. Definitely not an April Fool's joke. Ryan cited Jim Ryan cited difficulties in, quote, striking the right balance, unquote, between his home in the U.K. and his job in the U.S. as a factor in his decision to retire. So it doesn't look like he's going to be going anywhere. He's going to be retiring, and that's that. I mean, 30 years. That's a long time to be building up, and, you know, a lot has happened under the PlayStation division. So good for him to be able to retire, and uh, I'm going to be intrigued on what happens with what goes on with PlayStation in the coming years, especially as eventually we reach the middle of the current video game generation. You know, we've got the rumors of Nintendo's next platform, whatever Microsoft's doing with their next Xbox refresh, and of course, the possibility of a refresh PlayStation 5 or maybe even a PlayStation 5 Pro. A lot of interesting stuff. This upcoming year is going to be crazy for video game hardware, and it'll be interesting to see the new leadership in PlayStation and see where it goes. Something that I wish leadership took advantage of in a good way, um, Pokemon and the Van Gogh Museum offered a collaboration for different merchandise and collectibles and cards that people were able to get, and anything involving Pokemon, you know it's just not going to end well. Uh... Pokemon Company announced that its online store was already sold out seemingly for good despite the collaboration having only just begun a day before. So this extended campaign only lasted a day. Everything was gone. Uh, so the company said in a statement, we understand this is disappointing to many who are looking to our official email and social media channels for guidance on how and when to purchase we are actively actively working on ways to provide more Pikachu with gray felt hat promo cards for fans shopping at Pokemon Center in the future. So it looks like virtually everything that they were going to sell, well, they sold very, very quickly, much much more quickly than anticipated because of scalpers, entirely because of scalpers. And it looks like that might be it. This might have been a one-time thing that got through instantly, and that's that, except for maybe a promo card that they hope people will be able to get at the Pokemon Center in the future, so maybe even physically exclusive the pokemon x van gogh merch included an assortment of painting prints tote bags card sleeves and a holographic promo card um it was never exactly made clear when they would become available on friday morning pieces from the collection began popping up with no warning so it actually looks like 
there was no announcement on when it was going to happen. They just said, oh, it's going to happen. And then it just popped out of nowhere. Scalpers got in immediately, bought everything up, and no one had any expectation. So for genuinely, only scalpers seemed to have bought these because there was no announcement on when these were releasing. And they got they popped up and scalpers got right to them. Uh, it led to rushes on the website that led to numerous hiccups and made hard to add things to a cart and almost impossible to get through checkout. It sounds like Nintendo stuff to me. It's always Nintendo and Pokemon, especially Pokemon. I mean, trading cards, it was so bad. Some stores, I think, had to like ban sales of them because of how much people were trying to buy them. It was insane. So a reprint of uh, the promo card Pikachu with Greyfeld hat looks like it will be coming through. Uh, and the museum's exhibit is obviously still available to the public. Uh, yeah, I mean, Pokemon scalping is very, very big. In the past, the Pokemon company has apologized, said it intended to take steps to combat the scalping problem and followed through by doing things like reprinting card sets. Not known if they're going to do it this time. They confirmed a reprint of one promo card, but doesn't know. it's not known if they're going to do it with everything else. It would suck if they don't, but whatever it is... It's just unfortunate for everyone because those scalpers are going to sell them like hotcakes. And if you're interested in collecting, you just got screwed again. Just sucks. Wish more was done about it. And it seems like they always say there's more to be done about it, and then it happens again. So I've talked about password sharing, how streaming services were cracking down on it. A few weeks back, I said Disney Plus was looking into start cracking down on it. And now they are. If you're piggybacking on someone else's Disney Plus account, prepare to pay up to access the streamer, especially if you're in Canada. Disney Plus subscribers in Canada has been notified that as of November 1st, <clears throat> quote, unless otherwise permitted by your service tier, you may not share your subscription outside of your household, unquote. It will, it informs customers that if the company determines you violated those terms, they may limit or terminate access to the service or take any other steps as permitted by the agreement. Uh, the language suggests Disney Plus will be offering a new option or options for account sharing outside of a primary user's household. So something like how Netflix does it. And um, this was expected. They've mentioned it before, as I mentioned in an earlier podcast episode. Bob Iger, Disney CEO, announced this summer that the company was embarking on a strategy to monetize streaming account freeloaders. The quote was, we are actively exploring ways to address account sharing and the best options for paying subscribers to share their accounts with friends and family. Later this year, we will begin to update our streamer subscriber agreements with additional terms on our sharing policies, and we will roll out tactics to drive monetization sometime in 2024. So it looks like they're getting ahead of the curve. November 1st in Canada, uh, actually that same day, the company said to launch an ad-sported tier for Disney Plus at $7.99, along with the UK and eight European countries. And this is all while Disney is raising the prices of their premium tiers in the U.S. effective October 12th. So it will, in a way, it affects me. But the subscriber thing, I mean, the password sharing crackdown, it seems like it's an inevitable Netflix being so successful with theirs when everyone said, oh, boycott them, boycott them. They can't get away with this. They got away with it, and now other services are following suit. Disney Plus affecting it in Canada. I am certain the U.S. may not, maybe not next, but it is inevitable. So, oof. for the three months that ended July 1st, Disney Plus's subscribers in the U.S. and Canada dropped by about 300,000 to stand at 46 million. So millions are probably going to be affected by this. So just, if you're in Canada... Be prepared. If you're in the U.S., you should also probably prepare. 
um, maybe save up a little bit more wherever you can, or if you think you might not need Disney Plus anymore, or you're just willing to downgrade a tier, you know, always reevaluate the streaming services that you have. Um, always keep that in mind. Something that also was very quickly evaluated um, by many people that are in esports, Counter Strike Two is now available. So Counter-Strike Global Offensive was an extremely popular Valve-produced esports competitive video game. It was playable mainly on Steam. It was also on uh, Xbox 360, but the main way is Steam, which is PC. And it's been played by many a few years. I think a few years ago, it became free-to-play. Well, a few months ago, Valve announced Counter-Strike 2, which was going to feature a lot of upgrades visually and competitively to the game. And uh, surprise, it was released Wednesday, previously only available to players of CSGO as part of a limited technical test. It has now replaced Counter-Strike Global Offensive on Steam, Valve calling it, quote, the beginning of an exciting new chapter and the largest technical leap in Counter-Strike's history. All items that people, unquote, all items that people had from CSGO will move forward. Counter-Strike 2 was announced in March. an overhaul to everything about Counter-Strike Global Offensive, and it is the fourth major release in Valve's multiplayer first-person shooter series. Uh, you know, having a large history, the original game was based on a mod for one of their first games, Half-Life, which when it launched in 2000, then it's the first official one, Counter-Strike Source 04, and then Global Offensive in 2012. So this game lasted 11 years before being replaced. I mean, technically, it's just a continuation, but... Um, from what I've heard, apparently some features from Counter-Strike Global Offensive have been removed. Things have been rehauled. It harkens back, although not as extreme, I think, to when Overwatch was swapped out with Overwatch 2. Overwatch, highly beloved game. Years of updates. Fantastic stuff. I played, I think, before it became Overwatch 2, well over 800 hours. I loved almost every minute of it, even when I raged and got very toxic with my mic muted, of course. Most of the time. Well, it looks like, you know, something something similar is happening. Counter-Strike 2, some stuff was removed, although mainly features, items were moved forward, just like how it was in Overwatch 2. And it's funny, they're calling it Counter-Strike 2. This is technically the fourth, if we're including the original mod-based game. But uh, interesting stuff. I never really got into Counter-Strike. I, I loved Overwatch too much that I never really got into any other shooting game except, I guess, Apex Legends. Both great games to play, although if you rage, I wouldn't blame you. Uh, Maybe I'll check it out. I'm not sure. It looks pretty cool, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes if Valve can revitalize esports in Counter-Strike. Something that Blizzard has decided uh, something. We just don't know. So Overwatch League for the past several years has been the biggest one of the biggest esports contests like in recent times it was super super funded by Activision Blizzard millions and millions of dollars were put into it uh, some fantastic tv uh, some fantastic content to watch super exciting super integrated with Overwatch you were able to get free content by watching well, they just finished their sixth season, and it's looking like Overwatch League is dead. Uh, in a statement on X, Twitter, I don't even know. I don't know why I keep pushing that. 
uh, X slash Twitter uh, from the Overwatch League account. With the completion of the 2023 Overwatch League season, we will be focusing on building our vision of a revitalized esports program. We're eager to share more with you as details are finalized. Pretty much confirming that Overwatch League is dead. Uh, and also, Florida Mayhem won the championship, which is awesome. Go Florida Mayhem. Now, it's not as, not really privately known that the Overwatch League has been in unfortunate situations. Uh, the, the pandemic kind of messed them up a bit. And earlier this year, a financial filing from, from Blizzard confirmed that franchise owners would vote on whether or not to continue the league under new terms or agree to a $6 million per team termination fee. It's not known if the vote has happened. From what I remember reading, the vote was going to happen after the season was over. So, of course, not much would have been known until, I guess, recently. But it is all but certain, as the esports climate continues to be unprofitable, uh, owners will take the money and leave. Uh, Overwatch League director Sean Miller said that even if franchise owners no longer wish to participate as a league, competitive Overwatch will continue beyond the 2023 season. So Overwatch... Uh, in a statement, he said, I want to be clear on one thing in particular, that Overwatch remains committed to a competitive ecosystem in 2024 and beyond. So it's not looking like Overwatch esports is dead. Although I'm certain it's going to be significantly smaller than this. Um, Overwatch, uh, even in this year, competitive Overwatch will not evaporate entirely as Blizzard continues its marginalized gender tournament calling our heroes and World Cup programming. So in terms of Overwatch League, it's dead. Overwatch esports is not dead, but it's in my opinion, it's going to be much smaller. Uh, that's why I entirely anticipate that. Which sucks. Overwatch League has been pretty hype, especially from massive fans like me, to watch and get excited by these crazy esports players doing their absolute best, and it's just so much fun to watch. Uh, and the skins have also been pretty A-OK, -okay in my legal opinion. But it's pretty clear that its current trajectory with the Overwatch 2 and its lackluster performance people kind of not really being as excited as they used to be in esports have just i don't even think it's ever been profitable or sustainable it's just been passion projects that ends up with an extraordinary amount of money lost you know sponsors don't really push forward for it especially after the blizzard controversy where sponsorships literally dropped during one of those seasons i think it was like t-mobile might have been t-mobile where they dropped their sponsorship so they had to cover the logo on like everyone's jersey. I think that I think it was T-Mobile. Might have been a different one. I'm not sure, but you know, just constant controversy with the company and the lackluster esports. It's just a double whammy, and it just sucks. Because I was, I don't know what it's going to be now. I'm certain it's going to be much smaller. I don't even think uh, one post I remember reading, and I only just recently noticed there was barely even any mention of the Overwatch League in Overwatch 2's like system. When it was Overwatch 1, they had like a whole tab that showed current scores, upcoming matches, uh, directly right there tracker of how many coins you've gotten from the from watching. It was an own it was its own page, and I don't think that ever happened with Overwatch 2. <laughs> As the finals were happening, if you opened Overwatch 2, you wouldn't even know the finals were happening. That's how crazy it was. I actually opened it myself and yeah, I can confirm that. That's it, it's ridiculous. But <sighs> Whatever the case, it's it's going to... I will definitely keep my eye on it. It will probably be much smaller to the point where I probably won't even care as much. I don't even know if they're going to give away free content or skins or whatnot uh, as skins become more valuable uh, artificially. It's just a whole mess, and I don't know. I've 
I've only played its competitor, uh, Valorant, in the beta back in 2020, and I've never opened it or touched it since. Maybe I'll get back in. Maybe I'll get into it. I hope not. I hope I could just stick with the game I've now put in over a thousand hours into. Uh, but, um, so normally I would talk about the union strikes, but in my last episode that I, when I recorded it just before I did, the writer strike was officially over. Unionized writers that were part of the WGA were able to come back to work and get things up and running again. And one of the biggest things that immediately felt that impact were late night talk shows. They were back in full force Monday night. I actually watched the episode. I couldn't really decide. I just recorded all of them. But the one I stuck with was the, I think, the Jimmy Kimmel one because of Monday Night Football. Yes, I watch it. I mean, it's casual. Unless the Miami Dolphins are playing. Go Dolphins. Um, so I watched that one. Pretty interesting. Obviously, this was with a few days notice. So it was Arnold Schwarzer Ninja with uh, mainly, it was just mainly him and a music performance, and it felt a little awkward. I feel like these people have to get back into the rhythm. It was five months that they've been away from doing this, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of late night talk shows, but it's something that I know people watch every week uh, weeknight, and knowing that it's not going to be reruns anymore from several months ago, I remember it was like July or something, it was talking about something that happened a whole year ago which is like, really? Really? <laughs> and sometimes they have a big focus on like politics, and it's like, wow, this is really out of date. So I'm glad that they're back. You know, more content for people to dive into. Uh, the TV show season, though, for these local channels is still screwed. It's still going to be a bunch of reality shows. They normally film these like months in advance. So those months, no writers and partially no actors, it's still, you know going to be reality TV shows, 90-minute episodes of Survivor, uh, Monday Night Football every week on ABC, first time since, I think, 2006. So that whole thing is still screwed, but, you know, writers got what they deserved, and I'm all for it. Now I'm going to be keeping an eye on the sag after strikes and hope that that ends uh, in favor of the actors as well soon. I also heard, uh, and I hope they do it soon because it's getting a little annoying that uh, stuff like Tom Hanks having to tell everyone that AI ad of dental insurance is not me. We need more protection from AI. It's getting scary. Apparently, you know, image generation from Bing's AI just recently upgraded to DALI 3, which means, I tested this out, it means much nicer looking images that are AI generated. It's scary stuff. AI is scary. I don't know how it's going to be controlled, whether it's legislation or it won't be a boycott, but... I'm, you know, that whole situation, I'm just nervous. I guess I'll just say I'm nervous. Um, what I'm not nervous for, at least not as much as it used to be, is Netflix's take on animation. They have seem to be in a weird circumstance where they're riding a high of these fantastic an uh, animated shows and movies, and then an unprecedented low when they say, oh, all those shows that you liked, we're canceling them. They're not coming back. Cliffhangers be darned. Get screwed. And now they're back at a high because they announced that shows for video games Tomb Raider and Devil May Cry are in the works with trailers. And they look pretty sick. It's pretty clear that they're still early in development. Uh, also a show on uh, some spinoff of uh, Ubisoft's Far Cry, Blood Dragon, 
and uh, another trailer on the new Castlevania Nocturne game. <laughs> game. My bad. Uh, show. Based on the game, but it's definitely a show. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'm excited for that. I will definitely keep my eye on it. I have not seen One Piece, uh, the One Piece show yet, but I, you know, I heard it's good, and I do plan to. I just want to see it all in one go, and I just haven't had the time to do this. Uh, also something that was in one go that has now ended, Netflix, shuttering its DVD rental business. The end of the Red Envelope era. They sent out their last Red Envelopes Friday last week, marking end to 25 years of mailing DVDs to members. They were gradually, they've been gradually shifting their focus to streaming content, as obvious as it is. And after 16 years, they will continue to accept returns of customers' remaining DVDs until October 27th. It was introduced in 1998 and pretty much was the beginning of the end for Blockbuster. <laughs> it was why go to Blockbuster, just, you know, order it through Netflix. Um, and, you know, people were still using it. You know, fans of the DVDs were holding on. People with their, this person with an old Xbox 360, gosh darn. Um, I think, I think current consoles can play DVDs. I, I think the PlayStation 5 can. I would be very surprised if it doesn't. Definitely plays Blu-rays and 4K Blu-rays. I don't think, it doesn't play CDs though, which is very strange. I don't know how a machine can't play CDs, especially because they still get sold. Uh, but yeah, Netflix has quit DVDs and... However, they did offer subscribers a, quote, finale surprise, unquote, where they could opt in to receive up to 10 DVDs selected at random from their queue, and I guess they were DVDs to keep. Um, now, the CEO of Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, which owns DVD rental service Redbox, told The Hollywood Reporter in April that he had hoped to purchase Netflix's DVD business, and Netflix did not offer, so that's unfortunate uh, for people that wanted to stick with them. But Redbox is still there, and uh, yeah, it's you know it's sad to see this you know legacy end. But I mean, there's Redbox, so it's whatever. Uh, anyway, this is very weird. Uh, just recently found this. Uh, there is a what began as a case mod in 2020 <laughs> is now real. The sneaker PC. <laughs> robot kicks for $3,500 on Amazon made by Cooler Master, which are which is a well-known brand in the computer building industry and I think pre-builds. They've now built a computer that looks like a shoe. It looks like a sneaker. It has pretty mid-range specs, admittedly, especially for its price, $3,500. At least it has Windows 11. Duh, you would hope, you would hope that is. That's a joke. Uh, and, of course, a one-year warranty. Beautiful. Yeah, no. Oh, and there's a, actually a higher-end model. How much is that one? Uh, out of stock. I don't know if they had any stock to begin with. I imagine it's probably closer to $4,000. Crazy stuff. Uh, <laughs> what's also crazy is uh, something that's not funny or um, good. LG uh, makes a bunch of different TVs. I own an LG TV myself. In their higher-end models, they've been selling TVs, uh, their OLED TVs, with something called ATSC 3.0 technology. It's also referred to as next-gen TV. It's the next It's the next standard in broadcast television. It has support for 4K. It also supports for DRM. And it's gotten controversy. And it's still... The only way to watch ATSC 3.0 stuff right now is if your TV has it built in or if you got this strange $100 
uh, tuner box that has issues of its own. Well, soon it won't be every TV, a high-end TV to begin with, because LG told the FCC it is pulling support for the standard in its TVs next year because of a, quote, challenging and uncertain patent landscape, unquote. So uh, popular budget brands like Vizio and TCL have refused to support it. Broadcasts still don't cover the whole of the country. Where I live, some stations have turned on their ATSC 3.0 standard, but because I have uh, the HD Home Run box hooked up to my router, uh, it does not currently have DRM support. So these two higher quality streams that I would love to watch in those higher quality 1080p currently streams, but 4K capable, I'm not able to because of DRM, uh, which sucks. Uh, Objectively, it sucks, and it doesn't look like that's stopping anytime soon. LG's decision follows its patent fight loss with a company that holds multiple ATSC 3.0 patents. It's crazy to patent something that should be an open standard, in my opinion. LG strongly urged the FCC to look at how certain companies that own ATSC-related patents but don't commit to reasonable and non-discriminatory, or R-A-N-D, terms can have what it calls a, quote, chilling effect on companies in bringing, quote, advanced technologies to market. This is an yeah, it's an advanced technology that should be an open standard or at least open to some capacity, but aspects of it aren't. And it's crazy that a company can hold patents to this technology that is eventually going to swap out ATSC, or will it? I don't know. Is broadcast TV going to die in the future? I have no idea. I hope not. Um, I know the what's it called? Fast free ad-supported television channels is really taking everything by storm. You know, some services you can get hundreds of these sort of channels. But something about local broadcasting channels, it's just you can't replace that. And especially when you don't need internet for it. You just need a good enough signal to capture the data. It, it sucks that it's like ATSC 3.0 seems like it's going to be pretty focused, a little more restricted, but also obviously much, much, much more capable um, but it doesn't look like that's gonna succeed, and it sucks. Uh, I hope they deal with the DRM in a way that is not stupid, uh, otherwise known as maybe just removing DRM from being a thing that <laughs> is possible early term. You know, if the only way you can watch them now is with a hundred dollar box that has problems or a TV, a high end TV, my high end TV from 2021 doesn't have ATSC 3.0, which is insane. Um, it does, LG's higher end TVs from mine, which cost I think fifteen hundred bucks or more, those have it. And popular budget brands like I mentioned, Vizio and TCL have never implemented it. They apparently refuse to. Understandably, it's just probably makes the TV cost more unnecessarily, and it just has a whole lot of problems that I fear that what's going to happen is maybe DRM just they refuse to remove it, and the standard dies. I tr truly do hope that doesn't happen, but it's. I've got a fear that's gonna that could happen, um, but I'm just gonna leave it at that. I hope it gets resolved. But if you're hoping for a high-end uh, TV with uh, ATSC 3.0 standards, the article I'm reading by The Verge uh, say that options, if you want that, do include Sony's A90K OLED, LG's current uh, G2 TV, and some TVs from Hisense and Samsung. So you've got options but maybe there'll be a little less. I guess LG's G3 TV next year. Funny, one of the phones I owned before was LG G3. Now that's a TV brand. Uh, next year, it won't have it now.
And it sucks. I don't think the C-Series, like what I have, ever got it. It shouldn't be a premium bougie standard. It's going to be the mainstream one, or it's going to die. Uh, unfortunate. But anyway, um, for owners of the PlayStation 5, if you've been wondering, oh, my console is getting too hot, even though I don't notice that. Well, now you can water cool it. For $450, EK Waterblocks is selling a crazy mod that allows you to liquid cool every component on both sides of Sony's board. It's called the Quantum X, and it's made by a company that sells all kinds of gear for DIYers to build their own custom loop water cooling for high-end PCs. I think my computer is water-cooled. Uh, it's For higher-end computers, it's almost a necessity at this point. Um... And to be clear, you will need all kinds of custom liquid cooling gear if you go down this road. They're not selling an entire DIY kit, just the cooling block. So this is what $450 will buy you. A sandwich of nickel-plated electrolytic copper for your PS5's components, a transparent acrylic window, an integrated strip of 24 addressable RGB LEDs, and two G1-4 ports for your cooling pipes. Okay, so that's a lot of technical know-how. Overall, it's not a full set, um, and probably not necessary at all. <laughs> uh, in a statement, EK Waterblock said, it's important to note that this monoblock requires the rest of your the water cool custom water cooling loop to function, an ATX standard power supply for power delivery, and an external RGB controller for the optional RGB LED effect. So you'll need... Your own radiator, pump, fans, tubes, interconnects, reservoir, power supply, and micro ATX case, unless you've got one sitting around. And you'll need to literally disassemble your entire PS5. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense to buy. Um, but it is cool. I wanted to mention this, along with the sneaker PC. Extremely unnecessary and crazy stuff that no one should look into, unless you're just insane and have so much money to burn. And a professional nearby for this water-cooling PS5. Pre-orders are expected to start shipping later this month, or late October, and the buy page suggests they'll be delivered as soon as November 3rd, 2023. Uh, insanity. Just insanity. I don't even know how, like, companies think of this. Like, there are people that are part of these companies that think, what if we could water cool a PlayStation 5? What? That doesn't make any sense. I, like, I've got, I, I have a PS5. I'll admit it. I have a PS5. It's cool. I don't see a need to water cool it. It was built to not need to be water cooled. I think the Xbox Series X has some sort of vapor situation with its console. I think something like that. But the PS5, I think, also has something like that as well. Um, the uh, liquid metal. I don't know if it's liquid metal, but something like that. It already has like procedures built into it that allows into cool efficiently with the hardware that it processes. So I don't know why someone would want to water cool and 450 bucks. This thing costs it four to 500 bucks. That, and that's just the block. How did people think of this? It's insane. But anyway, um, we're, we're moving on. I'm moving on. It's just something crazy. I can't believe people do that. I can't believe it was thought of. Oh, sorry. Okay. All right, got a few more topics to go over. The FCC, while we're on the subject of it for at least the most part, uh, they have issued their first ever fine for leaving junk in space. 
Dish Network has been ordered to pay $150,000 for not moving its defunct satellite further away from Earth. The company admitted it was liable for not shifting its Echo Star Dash 7 to a safer spot and will pay that penalty and implement a compliance plan. Space debris can pose a hazard to working infrastructure, including the International Space Station, which has had run-ins with debris in the past. The FCC has said defunct satellites, light dishes, can also interfere with the, quote, the nation's terrestrial and space-based communication system by systems by increasing the risk of damage to satellite communication systems. Seems like a no-brainer then that this has ended up happening. Uh, the FCC Enforcement Bureau chief, I said this is a breakthrough settlement, making very clear the FCC has a strong enforcement authority and capability to enforce its vitally important space debris rules. So yeah, history in the making. Uh, not for the benefit of one company. Dish had previously told FCC it had a plan for dealing with the direct broadcast satellite back in 2012. Ten years later, it was going to move it 186 miles above the geostationary orbit it worked with, but Dish realized uh, eventually that it did not have enough propellant left to complete its maneuver, and so it still remains a hazard 76 miles away. Uh, yeah, so big stuff. It's the first time that the FCC has fined a company, and yeah, while 150 grand is not a whole lot for a company as big as Dish, a regulatory organization with some teeth has a much better chance of making companies clean up their mess. Pretty interesting stuff. I always like to see you know announce uh, developments involving space, not really, not just rockets like SpaceX and whatnot, but also you know residue and space debris and fines for leaving junk in space. That's pretty cool. Uh, that something like that exists. Um, not for the benefit of that company, but for the benefit of knowing it's being enforced. Way to go. And uh, last normal topic of the week: Google making it harder for bulk senders to fill your Gmail with spam. This just recently came through, I think today. New Gmail rules have uh, that will be enforced during February uh, will make it uh, likely to reduce spam and also make it easier to unsubscribe from bulk senders and close email security loopholes. Uh, the, new the new requirements will be imposed on bulk senders, which are defined as those who send over 5,000 messages to Gmail accounts each day. Yeah, it's a bulk sender. So like a newsletter or just spam in general. Uh, part of the requirements, Google will begin enforcing a clear spam rate threshold for bulk email senders to prevent them from bombarding users with unwanted messages. The existing rules advise senders to keep their spam output below 0.3%. I'm surprised there's a percent at all. But that's currently worded as a recommendation. Bulk senders will also be required to provide Gmail recipients with the ability to unsubscribe from commercial emails with a single click to make it easier to stop receiving unwanted messages. Requests to unsubscribe from such emails must then be processed within two days. Normally, when I click unsubscribe, it would say five to ten business days. Only for me two weeks later to end up getting another email. And then I just, yeah, that's when I get angry uh, at myself for not just reporting the email as spam and then blocking the recipient. And lastly, Google says that the bulk email senders will also be required to, quote, strongly authenticate, unquote, their emails by following Google's best practices. A company claiming this will close existing loopholes used by attackers, making the source of your emails more secure and trustworthy. Okay, good stuff. I love improved security for emails in general. It's definitely, full, it can be full of loopholes and problems that 
Uh, I'm glad Google is looking at, I'm going to assume Microsoft will with their Outlook, AOL, Yahoo, the whole ordeal, maybe whatever Firefox or Mozilla is doing as well, and DuckDuckGo. More secure emails is always a good thing, and less spam is also much more of a good thing. And that's good that someone's working toward that. All right, ending off the podcast with Futurology. You know it, you love it, and this is an interesting one. Uh, I found an article by the Singularity Hub that says quantum computers could crack encryption sooner than expected with a new algorithm. Now, there have been developments underground, really, about quantum computing, quantum processors. I think Signal, which is a very secure end-to-end encrypted uh, messaging platform, recently introduced some algorithm that quantum computers are not able to break through. Well... It could help, but keeping in mind, because of how algorithms for uh, encrypting, compressing, have not really kept in mind quantum computing, including, like, I think cryptocurrencies as well, you know, these cryptographic schemes could be a big problem to deal with once quantum computing becomes more mainstream, more recognized, uh, more improved, less error-prone. Uh, according to a report in Science, New York University computer scientist Oded Regev, sorry, I'm saying that wrong, O-D-E-D space R-E-G-E-V, has discovered a new algorithm that could reduce the number of qubits required substantially. It involves, uh, essentially reworks one of the most successful quantum quantum algorithms to date, which is uh, very interesting, very interesting stuff. It's a lot of technical know-how, but it does show that quantum computing continues to advance. New algorithms could make things even scarier and... Quantum computing, I think, we're kind of ignoring for the most part. I remember it was a big deal when there was like more qubits being utilized by one company over the other, IBM versus Google at one point. And then AI just happened, and we kind of all forgot quantum computing publicly. It's very interesting. I don't really see that read anymore. But um, most implementations of RSA's, uh, the popular RSA encryption scheme uh, rely on at least 2048-bit keys, equivalent to a number 617 digits long. Uh, Fujitsu researchers recently calculated it would take a completely fault-tolerant quantum computer with 10,000 qubits, 104 days, to crack a number that large. But the new algorithm could potentially reduce those substantially. Uh, it reworked the algorithm such that it's possible to find a number's prime factors using far fewer logical steps. Uh, it could reduce the number of gates required by two to three orders of magnitude. Yeah, it's scary stuff. Scary stuff. I appreciate what Signal's doing with their quantum computing proof algorithm uh, because this might just come out of nowhere like AI did with ChatGPT and we're all just going to be, whoa, hold on, crazy, hold on, chill, 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 chill. But yeah, um, scary stuff. Definitely will keep my eye on it. And that'll be it for me this week. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. I appreciate it. I... We'll continue to be releasing these every Tuesday night from here on out. So if you ever have a topic you want to give me, I think I mentioned I was going to cover Overwatch Collegiate last week. For this week, I apologize that I did not. I do plan to in the future uh, as we progress through this uh, through this year. Uh, maybe more stuff will happen. I'll definitely make sure to have this as a focus. I did want to cover the Overwatch League thing, though, because that recently happened. And I'm I anticipate crazy stuff's going to happen. Uh, and esports in general, whether it's going to be a rehaul that makes it much smaller, but possibly profitable or sustainable, uh, or it's just going to be dead, which is 
I think less likely, but I have no idea. I can't predict the future if the future is unprecedented, as we see politically every single day. Um, but that'll be it for me. Thank you all for tuning in, and I will catch you all in the next one. Until then, take care of yourselves, and have a good one. Peace.